Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast. And uh, we definitely up and rolling, transitioning over to fall. And when we transition to fall, we think about a lot of different things. Changes, new beginnings, but really here in Michigan, you know, we thinking about what are we doing as it gets colder, making sure that you protect yourself. And protecting yourself includes a lot of different things. And the guest today talks a whole lot about some of those ways that, you know, you may think you're protected, but ways to get protected and many other things too. So today is somebody that's a client. And when I think about it, like friends of the family, her brother is like my brother in arms. Uh, one of the <laughs> coolest people he's been here before, but now we talking about her. It's Karina Malone. How you feeling today? Um, well, how are you, Kari? Thanks for having me on. Everything is cool. Everything is cool. That's so usually when uh, when we're interacting, it's you calling shots. You may be <laughs> one of uh, you, you hear so much about um, different people handling things and business and like being around the same age, just uh, managing different companies. Um, yes. Uh, physical therapy. Uh, also, now you're into like uh, major waste disposal. Absolutely. Uh, also, like uh, you were like one of the first people I saw really into uh, smoothies for health, uh, different health concerns and different things like that. Just a person that sees the umbrella in many things, but it all makes sense to you. And all of it has been a success. So I do tip my hat to that. Thank you, know? you very much. I appreciate it. You know, it's good to have good people around that see what we're doing. And we're not just uh, out here working, but actually making a difference in the community. So, that you know, that's a blessing. Most definitely. So, like, with that preface... I already know. And then you're a woman, a few <laughs> words usually, you know, because it's usually always business. It's always like you, Mostly. you between two calls, like, hey, did the money get there? Okay, send the invoice. Yeah, I shut the phones down. I shut the phones down. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's right now. But I already know the invoices is going and, <laughs> and the uh, the receivables, the payables is always balancing. You know always. what I'm saying? Um, so with that, let's get into more of your Detroit story. Um your background, uh, family. What what brought your family to the city of Detroit? What's uh, and how far back? So uh, we're here. We were born and raised in Detroit. Um, my family has been in Detroit for generations, more mm -hmm. uh, generations than I can even count. Okay. Um, our great grandparents were here. Our grandparents were here. Um, a lot of our family, of course, worked in the plants, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, our, our family is bred off of just, you know, being hustlers. Um, you know, we are native Detroiters, all of us. Um, from my mom's side to my dad's side, we were all born and raised in Detroit. So, you know, Detroit is home, um, definitely. I've had a chance to uh, move away uh, for a few years, and, um, you know, I always revert back to the D, you know what I mean? So um, our family has uh, actually done a lot of things in Detroit from entertainment to real estate to um, retail. I mean, we've just been – we've had our hand in so many bags and so so many different avenues, like I said, going all the way back to my great grandparents. So, you know, we 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 are Detroit bred, you know, yeah. proud and true, thoroughbreds for real. So, yeah, yeah, y'all took 
Y'all took the Thanksgiving Day Monopoly and made it like real life. It was <laughs> real like, life. okay, for real, for real. Yeah, you know, we trying <laughs> to get our board works and our, yeah. Se, but we about to take this corner a six mile. We're going to take that a seven mile. We're going to take this a Plymouth and just lock it down. Absolutely. What neighborhood? What neighborhood do you remember um, growing up in? Well, we don't, you know, me and my brother always laugh at this. We don't really claim a, a particular neighborhood because mm. we've been so well versed uh, in the city. Uh, we have... Um, we started, me and my brother, from our early beginnings, we started on the east side of Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, shout out to the east side. Whereabouts? Um, we grew up in McDonald Square, but prior okay. to that, when I was born, we were like on Burns and mm -hmm. Maine. And, you know, so we were we, we were we were east siders in the, in the beginning. Um, when do you remember the east side? Like when you were a kid, like that neighborhood, do you remember it? Um, well, when I was uh, around seven, we mm -hmm. moved to McDonald Square. Which okay. is a subsidized housing complex and right off of Shane. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we were there from the time I was seven all the way till about 13 or something so that, like that, that. Those are like some formative years Absolutely. in the childhood. What do you remember being a kid over in that neighborhood? Oh, you know, um, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, me, I, I, I was so, we were displaced a lot, moving around. And um, for us to have something stable, it was our first, I could say, really stable um, environment. And so, um, you know, I was, I, I loved it. I was so happy to have my own room, you know, to be around other kids. I didn't care if it was considered, you know, projects or whatever. For me, it was like something stable. So it was our first stable home. Um, my brother, uh, it was me and my brother at the time and my mom. And um, my brother, he knows no one, you know, over mm. there. He, you know, he didn't want to connect. He was like, no, he used to go over to my grandmother's house all the time. But, you know, it was it was it was a beautiful um, uh community neighborhood you know I, I did everything over there um you know we had a community center where you know they would have all of the holiday events for the kids in the area i was very yeah. close with a lot of the people from mcdonald square um it, it was my formative years you know so for me it was it was home you know mm -hmm. mcdonald square is where i would say that um i started and where i actually you know became started to become the woman that I am today, for sure. I, I still have lifelong friends mm -hmm. that I deal with from McDonald Square that are some of the closest people to my heart, you know. Um, and it was a hard time. So, you know, uh, everybody in McDonald Square was going through a hard time. So to be able to uh, think back and remember um, all of the laughs, the smiles, the barbecues, you know, things like that, you know, it was good. For me, I, I you know, I didn't realize it was the hood. And for me, it was, it was just home, so... And when you talk about that, like, especially like those ages, you know, a lot, I do believe, formulates in your personality, your character. Absolutely. How you have like, um, you know, it, this weekend, my kid sister was here and it, we were just going through stories of like, I was telling her, I'm like, you're going to learn from this because I know a lot of how I handle business, me personally. I feel deals is an extension of how we played together as children. Absolutely. It was a lot of dynamics in just the way we would communicate and connect and things like that. So when, when you think about like those friends and then really kind of getting those friends on your own because your older brother was like, no, he was so old that his yeah, mind was yeah. probably like, it was already formed. I got my friends over here. Um, yeah. like these people. Blah, yeah, blah, we're blah, five blah, we're five you know. years apart. So mm -hmm. for him, he grew up um in Plymouth Square. So our great grandmother yeah. was uh from Plymouth Square, Plymouth and Evergreen. And he mostly hung out and grew out in that area. His best friends were in that area. But by the time I'm seven, you know, yeah. he's twelve. 
Yep. So for him, you know, he's like, oh, my friends are over there. And um, eventually he got more, you know, acclimated to the yeah, environment open to and open to it. Absolutely. Um, because I knew everyone in the yeah, neighborhood. Say, that means that <laughs> now you kind of, even as a little sister, kind of become a big sister. Absolutely. Because you knew... You know, you, I knew you driving down the street and people be like, eh, yes, eh, yes, you know? yes. And I actually have um, a younger sister as well, um, who I believe might have. Yeah, I believe she was born when we were over there mm-hmm. in McDonald's Square. So, you know, that was her true origins. And wow. so I was able to be a little sister as well as a big sister. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was uh, and I would take my sister on bike rides with it. You know how the neighborhood gets together, mm-hmm. had those bike rides. You know, we were really, really close. You know, McDonald's Square has all these different circles, you know. So um, and when I say that, I mean, like the way that it's positioned, um, mm-hmm. you go inside the driveway, you go around the whole circle and there's people living there. So we mm-hmm. were very close with all the people in our circle, even the uh, neighboring circles. And um, my cousins lived in the next circle. So, you know, I mean, for us, it was, you know, it was like, hey, we, we're here, you know. So, so for people that, you know, are unfamiliar with McDonald's Square, because I'm familiar with it. Okay. Um, and that's a that's part of it, it's so weird. It's like when we think East Side Detroit for most people, it's like two parts of the East Side. Yep. It's either you like, do you live by the airport? Which is so weird because it's almost like everything. I know, right? By the airport <laughs> everything. The it's like, okay, you realize it's four sides to this. You know what I'm saying? I could be, you could be by Randazzles exactly. or you could be over here by the, the Fago company. Exactly. You know what yep, I'm saying? That's absolutely. a whole different world. Yeah. Uh, I have family over there as well. You know what <laughs> so, I mean? <laughs> so shout out to them. So it's, it's that. But McDonald's Square, I look at it as more like the downtown-ish it is. part of the east side because sometimes you can get even get um you like you forget that like all of this is still like technically the east side Absolutely. though it feels like downtown. yeah everything across woodward is the east side you know is what mm-hmm. i consider and it's funny because um we are, i feel like we're always at this borderline but um you know that was just one of the places we did grow up previously you know on the east side before but um mcdonald's square is really truly you know east side because what happens is is that you know when you're going into neighborhoods or playing with other kids you're not going downtown no. you know what i mean you're not going to the way of downtown you're going to mcdougal you know what i mean you're going to kercheville you're going mm-hmm. to east grand boulevard you know you're going to um I forget what they call it. What is the Heidelberg Project mm-hmm. area? Yeah. Um, so, you know, but these areas weren't Heidelberg Project then. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We're, we're, we're riding. Our bike rides consisted of us uh, riding through those neighborhoods, seeing mm-hmm. those dial houses and the, the dots on the street. You know, the creativity before it was even recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people think about McDonald's Square, you know, a lot of times we're going into the neighborhoods further, deeper east when we were um, hanging out. And, of course, the good thing about it was is that... You you're able to um, experience downtown, you know. So mm-hmm. when we when we did a lot of different things, uh, we we were downtown, like things at Shank Park, and you know we were very very um, closely knitted to downtown. We always were on Belle Isle and things like that. But on the opposite end, a lot of our family was still on the east side. A lot of our family was still in the neighborhoods. And McDonald's Square, don't get it twisted, you know, is a hard place to live. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it, it looks a, a lot nicer now and they uh built a lot of condominiums and things like yeah. that around mcdonald's yes. square but mcdonald's square um is 
two minutes from the King homes. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I, that's where we played a lot. A lot of my friends were from the King homes. So, you know, it's like saying King homes isn't the, isn't downtown. Yeah. I mean, isn't on the east side. You know, mm-hmm. it is situated downtown. But, you know, once you start hanging out and going to the schools and things of that area, you know, it takes you further east. And um, I think people who are from that area kind of know the connection. You know what I mean? So I, th- I think that they realize how hard it is um, just on that side of town, period. You know what I mean? Because for one, it's kind of like being, I lived in the D.C. before, so it's kind of like being five minutes from the White House. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a bunch of neighborhoods in D.C. in Southeast that are literally, they're looking at, yeah, the, White House, the White House, you know the what I mean? Building. The Capitol right Building. The Capitol Building, you yeah. know, the memorial and things like that. And they're the worst schools in mm-hmm. the nation, mm-hmm. you know. So it was one of those type of things. You know, you get to see good things kind of sort of because Detroit really is just now, I mean, mm-hmm. downtown is just now kind of coming back. But, you know, I think um, it, it gave us two different perspectives. And, and that's what I would definitely always think, you know, is Belle Isle is one of the gems of Detroit. But it's always different for the people even around Belle Isle. Like how they'll go and, and, and engage and just, you know, like you always, you know, you yeah, talk the about Giant Slide was my second home. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being a kid at the age that I was, you know, we wanted to experience those things. And so, you know, our mm-hmm. parents, um, you know, we come from humble beginnings. So, you know, um, I think my mom was excited to move down there, not just for the stability, but she's like, you know, it's opportunities. Like, if we don't have a car, we could still have access to some of the events, mm-hmm. the fireworks, you know, the African American mm-hmm. Festival. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of history downtown as well. So, you know, so that was good. But, um, you know, but we 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 me down the square, so you know, okay. it was rough. We didn't, we you know, we didn't you. we didn't see all of that at all times. But it was it was good to be um, very close to it. Okay, so from there, high school. What, uh, what, where do you transition and move, and and what, what's that journey? So it's funny because uh, growing up, our grandparent, my grandmother and my mm-hmm. grandfather, they actually, you know, started. Um, moving and transitioning out of Detroit and they were one of the first uh families to move into Southfield. Hmm. So when we moved from McD- moved into McDonald Square, we were just leaving from Southfield, but we were living in the basement and you know hmm. a lot of uh, my grandmother was having um drug abuse problems and things hmm. like that. So even though they were in Southfield, you know, it was still a chaotic hmm. home front for us. Hmm. Um so we went my point saying of that is is that we went to Southfield schools. So even though my mom, because of the fact that we were living there, and then when we went to McDonald's Square, we still went to Southfield Schools. So you were always making that journey. We were always making that. Man, what? So this is, Mm -hmm. and I like shout out to my mom, because when I think about it now, I mean, my kid's school is like 10 minutes away, 15, and I'm like, oh my God, I got to get up, you know, Mm -hmm. and take them to school and to, um, to actually make make uh those opportunities available for us was was is very commendable um but yeah we took a 30 minute drive 30 to 40 minute drive every day from all the way downtown um to southfield we actually went to elementary i went to elementary at brace letter leave which is an elementary school on nine mile levy on nine mile and telegraph and even southfield high on lasser and 10 mile And um, my last year when I was in the 12th grade, so Southfield is also my home. You know, I'm not afraid to say that, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was always one of those kids who lived in Detroit but Mm -hmm. went to Southfield schools, you know. But I was very, very um, closely connected with a lot of people in Southfield uh, communities because when my mom was at work or things like that, our uncles and our aunt would watch us. Uh, We'd be at our grandmother's house because my mom was trying to fend for us. Um, But my last year... 
I ended up, you know, I was, I guess you could say turning into, you know, a bad girl somewhat. Um, I wasn't as focused, you know, and so, yeah, so, you know, and I've always been smart into all types of programs, but um, I ended up getting kicked out of Southfield, Mm -hmm. um, like, the first month of 12th grade year, which is, like, devastating because you're about to graduate with all your friends. It's like, um, but I did end up, and I went to Mufford. Which clearly was a total different experience for me, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when I got to Mumford, even though I had lived in Detroit, I had never went to school in Detroit. And if anybody knows, Mm -hmm. going to school in the suburbs versus going to school in the city is totally different. You know, it was a lot of girls there that were pregnant and this and that. And it was metal detectors when you came in and... You know, it, it was it was it was it was just a difference for me, you know, but I made it by that time I was living on my own. So, you know. Hmm. All right. So. So from there and then you're 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 now on your own. What sparks these the the, the entrepreneurial journey? You know? Um. So I will say this, you know, we have been blessed to um, follow behind a lot of trailblazers. You know, it's been a lot of trailblazing. When I was younger and we were living in McDonald's Square, my mom um, actually has started a retail business called Grab Bag Unisex. Okay, so um, let's, let's, let's unpack that a little <laughs> bit. Because even in your mom, what was the, you know, because sometimes we'll start businesses and not even necessarily know it's a business as much as it's like, you know, it's, it's people interested in it and right. I'll pay for it. Right. And, you know, people end up in this position as it grows into that. Yeah. What sparked your mom even into doing something creative like that? Uh, well, my mom was uh, she's the older sister of okay. all of her siblings. How many? Um, she has by her mom. She has four siblings. Um, she also has one sibling by her dad. But that's okay. funny because they all kind of grew up together. So okay. it was no separation between them. She's 10 years older than her next old, youngest sibling. So when I say her, the big sister, she's literally the she's, big sister. So you know? she's like pseudo mama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she's like second mom type yeah. thing. And um, so for her... Um, she, you know, she, she was kind of had a privileged life. She actually went to Immaculata, which is now Mary Go of College. Um, when she was in high school, she moved to San Diego with a scholarship and things like that. So she was kind of living a spoiled, not spoiled life, but a affluent, a more affluent life. Mm-hmm. And, um, after, you know, our family got deeply in drug use, you know, it kind of mm-hmm. reverted back to, you know, um, that kind of dreadful spirit i guess or you know living means and um anyway so she she had been used to good things and so i think it was very hard for her especially after my father went to prison it was very hard for her to adapt and i think that just her hustler spirit kind of made her like hey listen i want to get back to those nice things i used to have i want to get back to you know being someone in this world because she was supposed to the idea was that she would go to san diego and become great and Mm -hmm. she moved back here and had my brother you know because she didn't stay in california and so for her and then she fell in love with my dad and he went to prison he's still Mm -hmm. in prison Mm -hmm. um and i think that was just very traumatic for her so it took her a long time to get over these things she has suffered drug abuse by that time um Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of failed relationships, a lot of, you know, displacement and things like that. So I think, you know, the the need or the thirst to want to have your own finally after so long um, w- w- was was the determining factor of why she wanted to start that. Um, do you think it was um, do you think it was like a level of like guilt in some of that decision that led to her like staying there as, you know, um, when people talk about drug like our nation? You know, it, this America's a nation that it, 
drugs are very prevalent in yes. this nation. So, yes. like, I mean, Especially whether you look at it legally or, quote-unquote, illegal, like, whether a doctor's prescribing it or a street pharmacist is prescribing exactly. it. Because usually, you know, you go from the doctor prescribing something to exactly. you no so longer get use. the script. Exactly. And now yeah. you got to go to a street pharmacist. You know what I'm saying? I so think like, that all these know. things played a major part. Um, I will say this. You know, I will be honest and say that um, my family, like I said, they've always had a hustler spirit, and a mm. lot of them came from not just drug use, but the drug game. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, and that's kind of being an entrepreneur. You yeah. know, so she did see this, you know, yeah. so this isn't something new for her, for her to see. You know, my grandmother, you know, she had a number of, she was a jack of all trades. She had my mother at 18 hmm. and um, I, th but nothing ever stopped her. She always lived fancy and this and that. And, you know, the drugs actually took her down, but they yeah. never kept, they never lost that spirit, you know. Yeah. And I, I think I could say for a lot of black women, especially in Detroit, coming from Detroit, because we come from the days of Aretha Franklin and Michael Jackson and Motown and you know, nice cars and things like that, you know, they always wanted to look good and look their best. And so my grandmother was definitely one of those types. So my mother did see that. Um, and, and, you know, we just come from that. My grandmother was the same way. And we're a matriarch family. Um, our, our, our family was raised by mostly women. Uh, we had a lot of boys, but we, 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 we were raised, the heads of our family were all women. So we kind of piggybacked off that. She had... Um, my grandmother to look at. She also had two aunts to look at. And um, I think it made her kind of thirst for it. But this was kind of like her way of doing it legally. Yeah. You know, like uh, we don't want to be a part of that anymore. You know, she was a recovering addict at this time. Yeah. You know, and, and like I think about it all the time. Shouts goes out to her because um, coming from drug use so soon after, you know, fighting an addiction and, and being successful at it. Um, she came straight out, you know, with her feet hitting the ground, trying to figure out what can I do? How can I stay off the streets? How can I yeah. not do this? So, you know, even though she wanted the best things in life, I think it was more so survival. I think it was more so about not getting back to that. It was, you know, it was it was a hard thing to overcome, and it wasn't just one person in our family. It's a lot of people in our family using drugs, and when you have other people that you have this common ground with is a lot harder when it's like your brother or your well for her not her brothers and her sisters but her aunts and her uncles are the same age as her yeah. so and her and her mom you and, know and, so and and it's interesting that you bring that up i remember when i interviewed uh street lord rook and, and we spoke a little bit about this and this yeah. is what's so unique of like growing up on a block like i remember big james and little james and big james was the first person as a child i ever i, I didn't know what crack was so this may have been like I don't know, like 86, 87 exactly. or something. And he was the first person to sell it. But, like, it's hard to frame the lifestyle of Lil James, like my homie Lil James, because sometimes it would be very high highs. Absolutely. Like an abundance of money, an abundance of... But then it would be low lows where, like, I remember sometimes we would, we would get, like, um, man, this is, like, personal, but it's just real. Like, we would... We would stack buckets of water just to make sure that they could have water yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But wow. on the upside, it would be like heavy upsides, like yeah. new cars. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, on a on a good day, you know, you want, you know, ice cream truck, choco taco. Absolutely. Any, yeah. Anything, anything you can get. that you ever wanted would have been there. But then when things got tight, it, it was because it it's just, I mean, as most people know, I mean, just crime itself. If you know any exactly. criminal and this is anything. It's not like, it's not like business business. You're not. You know, you're not signing contracts to say, OK, <laughs> for three years, every month, uh, I'm going to invoice this. Absolutely. <laughs> get this much money. Absolutely. It's, it's 
it's a very I um, resonate with that so full of a lot of anxiety yeah. and up and down. Absolutely. And, you know constant back and forth it yes. almost seems like. Um I resonate with that so well because that's like the story of our, the story of our family. I mean, if you talk to Street Lord Rook, then you would know, you know. And if you had the opportunity to talk to anybody else, they would tell you the same story because we've all pretty much had the same story. Mm-hmm. Our family has been a lot of highs and a lot of lows, you know. Like I said, my grandmother, she's the oldest of her siblings, and so um, they looked up to her, and she found so many ways to make money and live yeah. a lavish life. Hence, move, you know, moving to Southfield and. So we understood that that was there. But by the time I had got to be six, seven, eight, you know, it was already a bad situation. So luckily we had things in the beginning that kind of sustained us, you know. So we had that house. That house was a big part of all of our lives um, because uh, it was the cousins, the aunts, you know, her sisters. her. So we were all a part of that house in Southfield. And that's why we were all. I think everybody in my family probably either went to Southfield or was a part of Southfield in some way. Um, but it was a lot of bad times there as well. You know, with the drug use, um, her husband ended up going to prison and getting a life sentence. Yeah. Um so, you know, I think one of the, the best things I like saying about my family is that we're resilient. Yeah. You know, that we definitely have a way of uh, falling off and coming back on. We can lose it all and get it right back. You know, that's our thing, kind mm-hmm. of like our motto. We can lose it all and get it right back. You know, that's like, deep. you know, everything. I, I looked at a couple of interviews that my cousin Shreeler Rook did, and it was kind of nostalgic. Like, wow, you know, like mm-hmm. putting it on the surface and, and showing that angle, you know, like, you know, everything. everything is the truth. You know what I mean? But we've had high highs, and a lot of people look at that. They think that it's only highs. Yeah. You know, but it, to me, I think that life is almost mostly lows or not lows, but it's like you always just trying to fight there. But those are the good parts in life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where Because the best days that you have are the ones fighting to, you know, get the podcast off or when we were building Premier Care or when we're yeah. just um, doing things that it feels like a struggle, but you know it's coming. You know, we have mm-hmm. faith that it'll work out. So, um, you know, that's 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 kind of our story, you know, like I, falling off and getting back on. I, I, I can't lie. Them, <laughs> when I mentioned them, I had no idea that you guys were related. So that yeah. means you related to Bob and Mike, too. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So now know. more makes sense because I was like, oh, it's all Bob and Mike. My, and my, my brother, my brother, um, or excuse me, my mother's brother, um, her next sibling that was closest to her in 10 years in age was Yacht mm-hmm. uh, from the Street Lords, yeah. which they call the Black Press, who died mm-hmm. in 2020. Rest yeah. in peace, Unc. Um, and so, you know, we, 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 our family is connecting a lot of ways and people, uh, for a long time, people didn't even know if Corey and I were brother and sister, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But that's another um, way of just showing how, um, you know, they were doing bad, and then Kenyatta took it and kind of turned, flipped the family back over again, and turned it all around when he uh, came up with Big Black Records. You know, and and and, I, and and with that, just back to that entrepreneurial spirit, kind of back to the story of your mom. Exactly. So these unisex bags, what 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 was she packaged in them? How did uh, she know that they could sell? What was the pricing point? Like, how did she go about this marketing? Of this idol, you know so, what I'm saying? Okay, really, so when you say that's really starting from scratch. So this is funny, and you know, like, like when I like everything I say is, is honest, and mm-hmm. I know you know that, but I'm just saying that to say because, like, when I tell you the story, it's like it's kind of like it's hard to believe nowadays. But I say that because so back then, my mom had uh, got with her husband, who she's with now. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been married for about twenty so years, oh, and shout um, out to that. yeah, shout out. So she she turned her life around, but. Um, 
they got together and they were both recovering addicts. Mm-hmm. And I think they both were like, hey, like, what can we do? We can't get back in the streets. We can't get back to, you know, doing all these drug activities or whatever it may be to keep us down in the slums. What can we do? And I think what they came up with was grab back unisex. So what they did was is that they got on the road. A lot of times with us and all together, you know, it's probably six, seven kids. You know what I mean? And oh, man, uh, we that, would drive that to right there sounds that like right a, there is crazy. Uh, but. Uh, 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 that was an adventure. A trying patience <laughs> of an adult. Oh, my I can God. only imagine. Six Yeah. Kids. I mean, driving to New York, you know, uh-huh. and they're driving to New York to purchase items, you know. Okay. And so somehow or another, don't ask me how, they used to uh, get up with Dapper Dan. And so we would go to Dapper ah, Dance. Wow. Yep. It, okay. It's a crazy story, but we would go to Dapper Dance home which reminds me kind of this mm. because it would be his home but he turned the whole basement into i mean not a sweatshop but you know people were down there like sewing and this mm-hmm. and that you know dapper dan was a genius so like, let me let, let me go for ahead. people that don't know dapper dan <laughs> oh, is right. the um what i'm gonna say why, right how would you describe it i'm gonna say he's definitely a fashion designer but what he did was he altered uh, high-end like italian or european fashions that are seen or labeled as high-end from Western standards of fashion, Absolutely. and he customized them more to a like and sensibility of what black people loved wearing, urban wear. So, like when you think of Absolutely. like any of those classic Mike Tyson's pictures, when he has on leathers, they're Dapper Dan. The yes. classic fight Mike Tyson had with um, I'm forgetting to do with the Jerry Curl. That was right outside Dapper Dan's store. So, like he would take. He would basically take like Gucci patterns, Louis yeah. Vuitton patterns, uh, and I mean Versace the stuff that you're seeing on and, social like, media really now. alter it where it's like, oh, I can salt and pepper now can wear it because yep. the making as as I've debated this all the time too. A lot of these Italian European designs that black folks like, and I think they like it because it just costs so much money, were not designed for the curves of a black woman (laughs) or the shoulders of a black man. It's designed for, you know, European bodies. Absolutely. So to make it, you need to alter it a certain way. Yep. Hence, like, when people say, oh, man, Versace don't make a shirt Rick Ross's size, which in certain ways is some merit to that truth. I'm sure that he can pay, but that's where you get someone like a Dapper Dan. Like a Dapper Dan. To alter it, where now it's like, oh, I can wear that, and I'm not going to feel like, I don't know, 007. Exactly. But you know what? I mean, they're doing that all the time on social media now. If you go on social media, you can go on Instagram and you can find people who are taking literally the bags that your shoes come in, making full-blown puff coats, you know? And this is this was Dapper Dan's specialty, yes. you know? So when we, came, when we went out there and they were like, and, you know, my mom's husband, he's like, he, you know, he also comes from humble beginnings, but he made a way for himself before he started using. And so, you know, he loves the sharp, you know, mm-hmm. coats and shoes and jackets. And Dapper Dan just put them together. So he's in there, like, customizing stuff. And so they had these, uh, came up with these white Gucci jackets that they mm-hmm. would have, leather jackets that they would have. And, mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they, they took off, you know. because and, and back then, if you go to New York back then, of course, everybody knows that this stuff is not coming directly from Louis, but Dapper Dan is not. He, you know, it's Louis products, it's Louis things, but he's not. He's detaching jeans, he's detaching yeah. shirts and jackets, and making it how he wanted to make it. And so, when people would see it, they're like, "Wow, yeah. you know, they want it, you know." And no matter what, like you could say whatever, and and, and, and I mean, we coming back with cases and cases and hmm. uh, uh, of of jackets, and then eventually. 
the Cartiers. I, 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 I like to believe that my family is probably the originator of wood frame Cartier grasses, well, was, you know. Well, I can definitely tell you the Street Lords helped uh, sell. Yeah, after, a lot. Yeah, yeah. After that, their first album, yeah. I think that, like, it was, people would talk about it because it was weird. It was like, I remember... Guys would have like iceberg shirts and some card, and then yep. it's like after they first album, it was like, oh, it was yeah, like, oh, that everybody, it was like now you have some cardies on, yeah. man. You, you, and now it's the, yeah, and now is uh, you, it's the trademark to Detroit almost, oh, most you definitely. know, most definitely. Now, you know, people think that we are the uh, the uh, the epicenter of Cartiers, which in some regards are true, I, but I my would mom love to, I would love to like look at their books and sales and oh. like look at like, especially like the what is it, like the um. Somerset sales yep. of like versus the rest of the nation and really maybe even the world like how much per capita is sold here hence exactly. like that's why like as an entrepreneur it's like on two levels especially as I'm not in the designer goods I'm more exactly. in this tech stuff but yeah, same. like in the designer goods world I, I always you know as people are applauding Gucci it's like what reciprocity comes even for the people here in the city of Detroit like yeah. if Cartier is like if if this much of a margin of their gross profits comes from Detroit. Some reciprocity should come to Absolutely. the Detroit. What are our gains? What are our benefits for yeah. basically putting on? And I mean, when people think of it, like even when people buy them, they shout out Detroit. You know, yeah. when people buy them and they take them here, yeah, I got my, and you know, they, they feel like they're from Detroit when they put the Cartiers on. And, uh, you know, my mom and my stepdad, I can say, definitely put that down in Detroit. They had a uh, gold and uh, platinum wood grain cardies that they were selling so that was their main thing gucci cardies and um they were getting it off from dapper dan wow you know what i mean that i mean that is deep like when i look back at it right and so i'm looking now because you know back then i'll be like oh that new york stuff you know everybody does that but new york has their thing if you're only from new york you can only really understand the level of who dapper dan was you know when we're here and we're trying to tell people oh this is from dapper dan they don't get it because dapper dan even though Louis Vuitton and Gucci just gave them gave him his respect, so, yes, but it took a and, long and time. It took a lo- it took too long. Yeah. Let's be honest, it took yeah. way too long, and it's almost like now they kind of brought him in just so he could stop, yeah. you know, kind of getting that on the side. If you ask me, but he's been doing it a long time, and if you go to New York, you ask anybody in New York. They knew who Dapper Dan was. All the yeah. drug dealers, like you said, all of the rappers, Salt and Pepper, and all that. They going to Dapper Dan. They wasn't yeah. going to, to Louis because, like you said, it wasn't urban wear. It wasn't, you know, when you look, it was all, you know, for them like dorky or this. It just didn't fit our bodies. It didn't fit our culture. It didn't fit what we were doing. And um, yeah, you know, my mom brought some of that back to that's Detroit right. with, with her first business. Yeah. So with that business, that's uh, that definitely is tapping back into also, and and that is one of the toughest things I think about a lot of the people I know from my family and friends just in recovery is you you're in a life where it kind of defines your life the cultures around you and, mm-hmm. and that's some of the highs so when you're on a high yeah let me get this Gucci coat let exactly me get this. I mean here go another Al Wasam would not be Al Wasam if you take Detroit away I away don't know if Al Wasam yeah. is becoming the Al Wasam staple if exactly. it was based in Kansas City exactly you know? it um, would but it's like, oh, I need an Al Wizzy just to celebrate the victory yep. of what I went through. Absolutely. To look and feel a certain way, to exude that. Yeah, you know? it's a call to honor, you know, putting yeah. on your Al Wizzy. And I think for us, it's even bigger because, like, I mean, the name of the, Detroit is different. 
you know, and that's real. Detroit is different. And I feel like it's always been Detroit versus everybody. You know what I mean? Because we we didn't get recognition for a lot of things, even though we are the car capital. I mean, we started the transportation, I mean, the car industry. You know, we started Motown. We did so many things. So I think it's not only the spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit is not just for my family or mm-hmm. for people whose family have done or shown what they've done. I think it's for our city period if you come from Detroit you want you like you you know you want to before it was just you want to have good money you know when they were working at the plants and stuff but like now I mean everybody now is like oh that that's what we do you know we 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 think of new ideas and and we get it done you know so And, and and to that point I was just saying like I tip my hat further to uh your mother and um and 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 her husband because that means they had to re-involve themselves in the world that Absolutely. they kind of walked away from, but in a safe space because that becomes usually one of the toughest things in recovery. Yeah. It's like, you know, I was talking to, <laughs> I was talking to like one of my uncles, or, you know, one of my big homies right. that, that's struggled on and off. And it was like, you know, sometimes it ain't even the using as much as it's the culture of it. It's Absolutely. the people around, they know you. It's the, oh, we can come up on this. We can beat mm-hmm. them out of that. You know what I mean? And then to involve yourself back in it, it, you know, and to know how to do that at arm's length, yeah. it takes a lot it's of It's not discipline. easy. Not only does it take a lot of discipline, but um, my grandmother used to tell me, because at one point my grandmother and my mother were, like, using together, which, of course, is, like, imagine, mm-hmm. you know, having um, an addiction with your parent. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so much harder to break away because your parent usually is the one fighting for you and saying, hey, come back on this side. You know, don't do that. This is that. You know, and so for my mom, she had two parents who both ended up being drug abusers. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was very hard for her. Um, but I think that my grandmother told me all the time, hey, listen, because I was like, oh, mommy, you know, now she's living good, whatever. And I'm like, oh. We call her mommy. I said, mommy, you know, have some wine with me. I think I turned 21 or whatever, you know. And she's like, listen, every day is a struggle. I'm no longer, you know, just the person I was. I'm a recovering addict every day of my life. No matter how far removed I am, yeah. I'm away from it. Every day I fight not to have a cigarette. Every day I fight not to have a drink. Every day I fight not to have crack, mm-hmm. you know. And she was saying that basically stuff like the wine and the cigarettes are a trigger. Yeah. It brings her back into that using mode. And yep. so she had to let all things go. So, I mean, to say, you know, and, and my family deal with it a lot, but, I mean, it's families. I, all, it I was, mean, it's so I many. As we see, I mean, like I say, uh, I think it's a Detroit. part of American culture. It is. It's just depending upon what the drug yeah. or what the cut can but be. But Detroit because, City yeah. was so involved in the drug trade. Yeah. You know what I mean? They like it, we were one of the cities where like if you I'm a, I'm just assuming, right? You got the cartel out there like about to come bring drugs into America. I'm sure Detroit was one of their cities like make sure it goes well, there. This is you know, well, so to a lot of people, you know, our port to Windsor is the busiest port. Yeah, in America. In America. So yeah. it being the busiest port, that means probably everything that could be could be positive for people to get mm-hmm. comes. And then certain things that can be detrimental Absolutely. to certain people comes as well. Uh, also, you, you have a, uh, a, a different spirit within that, which mm-hmm. kind of pivots me now to physical therapy. OK. That, and that business. And and what that is, is you're you have a center like right in the heart of. Of a Detroit community, Absolutely. like right off Fitzgerald, Mile, not not far from 
you know, not far from Mumford. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, th- th- in that footprint. Yep. And pain is one of those things right now, like in the arcs of what people deal with, you're mm-hmm. healing people from some of these pains yeah. as opposed to looking to medicate away the pain. Absolutely. That, you know, has led to what is labeled now like an opioid crisis. Absolutely. That exists. So mm-hmm. how do you get into that business? Why was it important? And then how, and then what impact does it have on you now of seeing that growing up? But a person that like is kind of between like both places, a rock and a hard place. As we we know most people from surgery is like you can take the pain pill, or you can try to heal without the pain pill. Absolutely. You know. So, um, for me, it's funny because me getting into physical therapy actually came from um, a close friend of the family who I called my uncle, very dear to us, um, from Southfield as well. Um, So he grew up with my uncles and my aunt, my aunt mostly. And um, he kind of called me, hey, you know, I need you to help me come run my physical therapy clinic. I'm like, what the hell, I don't know nothing. You know, I'm in school for biomedical engineering. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you know, I don't don't know, you know, and I'm busy. I don't have time for that. But long story short is, is that he had got uh, shot a few times. And so he had a number of ailments and he was actually... Addict. What I look back now is as an addict, he was prescribed, but the pain was so intense for him that, you know, he used these drugs more often than he probably should. But, you know, for him, he's like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this deep pain. And, and this so, could take the pain away. And this could take the pain away. It will take the pain away if I just take it. You know, so that you have to definitely have a certain level of strength to say, hey, look, I'm not taking pain medication. I saw Lil Duvall just got into an accident. He said, I'm doing yeah. this no pain medication. And that's really commendable because at the end of the day, it's very hard to do that. It's very hard. And so, um, anyway, you know, he had just came off crutches. And so I helped him with this physical therapy clinic and I got involved um, with that and then eventually my mom got a clinic and my aunt got a clinic and my cousin got a clinic you know so it was all these things and then I ended up being like hey I might as well do it myself um, but I had a degree in biomedical engineering so I, you know I'm like uh, am I going to use that am I not and then I ended up fall- falling upon physical therapy a business that I had been in for the past t- decade. Mm. So, um, and then when I thought about it, so we, we got the physical therapy clinic. And then again, you know, it's just like, oh, physical therapy. But then I thought about it like, wow, I um, actually made ours a multi-specialty. That, you know, you have taxonomy codes where you have to basically choose what type of industry this is or what type of business this is. And instead of just doing, say, hey, this is physical therapy, I did multi-specialty because I wanted to do things like substance abuse programs, weight loss programs, um, counseling. You know, I wanted it to be a hub for, like you said, treating and rehabilitating on more than just one level. Mm -hmm. So if you get into an accident, you can come here. If you get into substance abuse, you can come here. And just by telling you a small part of my history, you could probably see why pain was important for me um and and I'm not really dealing with with necessarily like pain management but physical therapy is such an important part of getting you rehabilitated when you have some type of injury to the body you know um and not only physical therapy but I'm like okay we're healing the body is there any way we can heal the mind so with that being said we wanted to offer you know be kind of multifaceted and we wanted to offer more services. And so I'm like, hey, let's, you know, do free yoga. We have weight loss programs that we also do called Young at Heart. Um, so we try to have classes. We have an annual health fair. It was just important for me. And we didn't choose Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald kind of chose us. Hmm. Because one of my uncles, my mom's youngest, I think it's her youngest brother, whatever, um, he actually owned that building. And we had an opportunity to buy it. 
And we were like, hey, let's do it. And when we did it, I turned around and looked at the community I was in like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? This is a disadvantaged community. When COVID came, they were one of the top communities that suffered from positive test results and deaths. Um, so when I turned around, I looked at where we were. I thought it was just a great opportunity to offer more things than just like, or just coming in somebody's community and saying, hey, you know what? I have a business here. You guys should come to my business and come to physical because it's right here on your corner because it's down the street. You know, I'm like, you know what, let's 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 offer services to the community that they could benefit from. So like at our health fairs, I mean, people are signing up for insurance, you know, people are getting diabetes checked, you know, mammograms, kids are getting, you know, the mobile dentist came out, free haircuts, you know, and so we have all these type of services that we try to offer for free. Um, and most of the time we do so that, you know, the community can benefit from it best. And, you know, if I come into a community that has high diabetes, this, that, that you know, I, I, I would like to be a partner in their journey towards well-being. I would like to be a partner in helping them um, bring their their health concerns to the forefront. And yeah. not only bring them to the forefront, but being committed to helping them, you know, find a way to alleviate pain or rehabilitate after an accident or, you know, um, find a way to fight these addictions that we may have just because of the disadvantaged communities that we are in. You and know? That's, that's deep because especially when we think of that industry, um, I think it's a couple dominoes that came in effect when, when I look at this opioid crisis. Yeah. One of them definitely deals with that industry. Um, Another, you know, America's occupation or war. I don't know what America was doing in Afghanistan, <laughs> but I'm very exactly. well aware that Afghanistan is the largest producer of poppy. Absolutely. In the world. Yep. And usually when American um, war efforts find themselves in a space in place with an abundant resource. Absolutely. That, in, that resource ends up kind of proliferating itself into America into somehow. America so somehow. I'm just, somehow, you know, somewhere. somehow it happens. <laughs> and you have, you know, at, at one stint, like maybe like uh, like the late 90s to maybe about 2012, like mm -hmm. the, the nature in which, you know, pain pills were offered to so many people suffering from usually like a car accident injury or a slip and fall at a job, mm -hmm. you know, um, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah, they and had another thing. I mean, sometimes they would give them three, you know, medications at the same time. You yeah, know? And, and, and basically, like, it's hey, sad you because, yeah. And during that point in time, it, it was certain... Um, clinics that that were supposed to be for physical therapy that i believe were running nefarious operations for the most part because it's like yeah you, you absolutely know, you come in you know you, a lot you of a lot of clinics and, got shut know. down for that yeah you know a lot of clinics got shut down for that and i think that's one thing we wanted to separate ourselves with we did we we have previously had a doctor in our office we still are searching for it but we always got to have the right type of people you know what i mean because yeah. our focus is not for you to get pain medication, our focus heal. is to heal and not heal in a way that'll bring you down. Because, of course, you can heal and take pain medication and this and this and that, and now you have an addiction. So it's kind of like, you know, it, you, you, you're crossing yourself out, you yeah. know, because now I'm healed, but now I have this this addiction. So, yes, pain pills that are prescribed to me, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, it's not beneficial to my life. 
So I think that it's important for us to, and one of the reasons that I like to have doctors and stuff like that in my clinic, which I usually don't because we don't, you know, it's so much mm -hmm. going on. So many people are looking for certain things, but a lot of the people in my area don't have primary care physicians. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's another real They thing. need physical therapy yeah. and can't get physical therapy prescriptions. Yeah. So for us, and then, you know, it is, it's a crime for doctors to, oh, it's a, it's a, just as big of a crime for a doctor to under-medicate than it is to over-medicate. Mm -hmm. And I think that Detroit has a bad bad rep on that because a lot of times doctors just come in this area and they're like, okay, we want to under-medicate because we think that you have a high likelihood of being addicted to opioids. Well, that's true. But at the same time, you have to have a plan to be able to get these people what they need but not make it to where they'll come out of it highly addicted to anything. You know, so um, I think that is the biggest, the hardest part, because so many people from Detroit have had that familial life or that history yeah. of drug abuse. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a it's a and but the way that they handle like, oh, it's an opioid crisis and this and people just getting crimes for having, you know, and so it's a whole conglomerate of issues that comes around um, this opioid thing. But a lot of major cities get hit. In a negative way, I should say, because it's automatically looked down on. Because the, you know, they uh, more people are probably getting addicted in the suburbs than they are out oh, here. I, you know, I a lot of us are fighting addiction, so they're not trying to be addicted. Yeah. That's why a lot of them don't want to take their. You know, they may be prescribed oxycodone. They like, I don't want to take it. Yeah, my, my I can't uh, do it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my, my grandmother. My I know 90, that was her. My, yeah. yeah, my ninety-year-old grandma broke her hip. <laughs> yeah, doing something she shouldn't have been doing. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> And she was like, I'm not taking any. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Because they're scared like, of it. Wow, you know, they're, you they're really. Hip. I'm like, I can only imagine broken hip at 39, how that feels. Oh, So my broken God. hip at 90, I assume that got to feel it's like. It's terrible. I mean, these people are getting, you know, they're yeah. so afraid of being addicted again that they're literally having hip replacements, no pain medication. They're literally having, you know, a whole knee replaced. Which. Which no kind of comes back to you. So exactly. you're getting some clients like this exactly. in the physical therapy, which yes. means you kind of got to be more on your game because you know this person probably is not taking their pain Absolutely. medication. And they're probably not trying to really let out the pain they're in exactly. either. Exactly. So you got to be more keen. Yeah, you do. Um, being the owner of a physical therapy clinic, because I am not the licensed care practitioner there. Mm -hmm. um, I do hire a physical therapist, which eventually I'm, I want to get my doctorate in physical therapy mm -hmm. um, just to be able to have that under my belt. But um, they they have to create a specific plan of care based on each person hmm. so that they could maximize your rehabilitation potential. Right. So you have the therapist that comes in and says, hey, based on this, they look at history, they look at this and the likelihood of you being able to do these things. And so we have an extra level of care in physical therapy. Right. Because for one, when you leave here, we want to see that you are well or at least you are back to doing your activities of daily living. And that's the thing about physical therapy. A lot of times when you injure yourself, say you're in a car accident, a slip and fall, what hurt on the job, whatever it may be. You know, you are trying to rehabilitate yourself, maybe not back to full total potential, but at least doing my activities of daily living. I could tie my shoe. I could do my hair. I could take out the trash. People don't realize that when you injure, these things are affected in a major, major way. And so that's why when people come to me, I try to help them get the benefits and the help that they need. Because if you 
of course you're going to probably need transportation. And a lot of times they're like, oh, well, transportation, you know, they still may drive. But if I'm injured, I want to drive as least as possible. I want to be in a car, you know, in a driver's seat as the smallest amount of, you know, you got to keep your head on a swivel when you're driving. So, you know, we also want to get them to seek medical benefits like housekeeping, Mm -hmm. attending care. You know, you don't like a lot of people get into accidents. They're like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, my aunt came to me one time after an accident and she had a concussion for two or three weeks. Hmm. You know, that could have been detrimental. Yeah, that could have been very bad. So a lot of times, my point of saying all that to say is, is that a lot of times, sometimes in Detroit, we minimize our pain or what we're going through just because we don't want to get back to that feeling of like uh, addiction or needing needing, it, you know, needing something. Yeah. Something else. And and then, you know. So I got to kind of convince people sometimes like this stuff is necessary. If you can get it, get it. You know, if you can get if you can get a ride back and forth where I'm helping you in a car. I'm helping you get out. You know, if you can get uh, someone to come through and just clean your house, you know what I mean? You should want to get those things. If you, you know, a lot of people don't want to stop working. Fight for your lost wages. You know what I'm saying? Make them give you those lost wages. You're getting paid up to 90, 80 to 90% of your pay. You need that. You know, take that little time off. But a lot of times we so perplexed for the dollar we're so pressed to make our money and continue our same lives that we've been living and later on down the line it'll affect you later on down the line you don't rehabilitate yourself after something like that it'll always be an issue and i I like where we're at and i want you to expand on that a little bit and so so you'll see in the lower third but but (laughs) (laughs) premier care physical therapy that is the business we're talking to yes yes with that as like back in high school I, I I snapped my knee, so I had a broke leg back in high school. Mm. But it was the right age. I mean, if it's ever a right age to break your knee, I'm I'm a teenager. Oh yeah. But with it, what I've learned even now to this day, like they even said, like the screw in your knee, you may need to have come out. So mm-hmm. it's like a slower wop, walk or a bop. But our bodies and our minds are phenomenal. Meaning, like we can oh, yeah. overcompensate. So like we'll have pain on one side. So now we're moving too much more on the other side. Uh-huh. And now you end up with pain on both sides. Yeah. Because you were overcompensating for where your physical therapy didn't stand. Yeah. Or, or you didn't Or your go. gait changes, you know, the way you walk, your cadence, the way you stand. You know, so and mm-hmm. people think that these things don't matter. But it's just like when you have, if you have a cadence always to the right, imagine how much pressure you putting on that hip, that right mm-hmm. hip. So I didn't even have a hip issue, but now I had a shoulder issue and it's make you know, it making triggers, me lean. it triggers yes. all these other different things, you know. So um for one, I think it's important that you for one seek the help and be okay with getting it. But that's why when they come to me, I try to do it in a different way. Hmm. Like, hey, listen, I'm a partner. You know, you tell me what you need. You tell me what you feel like. A lot of times it's a lot of the things that I just named. And I'm like, well, they already have stuff in place to help you with that. You know, so I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you're bringing people to the water and you're just trying to force them to drink, you know, because you want people to get these services. You want people to, um, like, if you get into an auto accident, if you don't go to physical therapy, nine out of the ten, you end up going to court, they're going to be like, ugh. You can't really be hurt if you didn't try to rehabilitate yourself and go to physical therapy. It really works, though. It really works. Premier Care, um, I've seen so many people. I mean, I'm seeing people come in there and break several things. I have a guy coming in tomorrow. His literally hand had fell off and had to get put back on. You know what I mean? Wow. So, you know, it, but it doesn't have to be like that for you to come to physical therapy, I think, is my main thing. And therapy was able to heal, because that's the other thing, that as we're, as I believe, um, 
you know, they're saying we're discovering things in Western mm-hmm. medicine, but I'm sure probably like people in like in Africa and Asia have been doing this stuff for a long yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. It's just we're welcoming it into exactly Western, Western medicine. medicine. Yep. You know, because uh, it, it was probably certain things where it just took more time. Yeah. You know, it's just like the yoga practice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what I thought about. Right. I'm like, okay, so we we rehabilitate. Yeah, that's cool. Do we have any more other services that we can rehabilitate them in other ways? So not just physically, but mentally, spiritually, um, you know, and psychologically. So I've been trying to partner with more uh, or or create more ways for us to rehabilitate, not only on that physical aspect of it. Because physically, you're just going to feel like, I need pain medication. Yeah. And let me take it, I'll come to physical therapy maybe a couple times, you know, but I can't force them in. But if you change their mindset, if you change their lifestyle, if you change the way that they are moving and thinking about rehabilitating their own bodies is better. So we try to do things like have mental health services. Um, like when if you come into my clinic, you don't have insurance, I'll try to get you some. I don't know how, you know what I mean? Hopefully that's the, the white hat that I wear that, you know, just allows you to be able to have that opportunity. You know, a lot of people come in, they don't have it, they don't have a primary, they don't have the things they need to be able to do physical therapy. Hmm. And it's sad, you know, it's sad to see that, for one, you don't have their insurance, for two, you, I'm like, do you have a primary care? They don't even know what it is. It's like, you know, so it's a lot of education going on at Premier Care. It's a lot of knowledge being shared, you know, and Aesthetically, I looked in different communities, right? Because you go to Nova, I'm in Southfield a lot, and I noticed, wow, these these physical therapy places are top tier. You know, these these places where you know these people, the more affluent uh, communities, are going to rehabilitate our hands down, looking you know look way better than what it is. So. In the Fitzgerald community, what I wanted to do was is bring that same aesthetic value, that same cleanliness, you know, attention to detail. You know, um, I just wanted to bring that to, to the hood. You know, I wanted to bring that to the hood. A lot of times growing up, we I, I look at it now, we weren't offered these services. You know, we didn't have insurance. It's like whatever. You know, if we didn't, you know, go to, you know, like I, I just didn't see beautiful places for us to rehabilitate it's just like when you go into mental health services you shouldn't have to go in and feel like you're about to go crazy just from being in there you know i think that we should offer we should offer and we should make it very important as especially as black people to help our neighbors to help our communities to bring them up you know just if you if you have a restaurant it shouldn't be dirty you know you don't want the kitchen dirty the stove dirty you want to go like you going in Troy, you want to look like wanted to look like Royal Oak, you mm-hmm. know. And I'm not saying that we gotta, but we piggyback off the cleanliness. We piggyback off the businesses that are right, you know. And so it's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with us bring bringing a clean, um, aesthetic rehabilitation center because I won't even call us physical therapy rehabilitation center right in our own community. So, so with that, that that definitely leads me to you know, some questions about just you've been in this business for a while and who your clientele is. Um, so, like, if a person, I guess like me, if a person's okay. transitioning <laughs> into their 40s, okay. what should they be thinking in reference to physical therapy? Where What should maximize, like, what type of mobility should they be thinking about, looking for, even have a balance set? So make? I feel like at, the, at, that, at that particular age, you know, somewhat, Uh, going into middle age I think that you should focus on for one if you are injured because I think Mm -hmm. 
us being older, we a trip up the stairs. Mm -hmm. You know, for us being older, we may possibly, you know, hit our knee. Mm -hmm. Something small that you think is small. You know, you just got to check into it and make sure. Because like you said, when you were 17, your body was healing. Your cells were regenerating every second. You know, you get a cut. If you even notice as you're older, you get a cut. Now, Mm -hmm. it doesn't clear up as soon as it did, you know, back when you were younger. And so I think that we should, for one, take notice of all of our ailments, all of our issues. For one, go to the doctor. (laughs) Go to the doctor is the main thing. But if you are doing that, once you... Uh, do anything with your body, I think that you should always let your doctor know because the doctor is the one who orders you to physical therapy. If I could, I'd tell people all the time, hey, just show up at my doorstep, you know, mm-hmm. show up at Premier Care. And I, But even if you show up, that's the thing about me, you show up without the right things, I'm going to send you back out there to get the right things. So mm-hmm. I think that's the benefit about coming to our clinic. But like you said, getting into an older age, I think it's very important to exercise. But even if you come do physical therapy, sometimes they only, some people come and do th- physical therapy maybe uh, 30 to 60 days, four to six weeks or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But once they leave, we're sending them home with home uh, home exercise plans. Yeah. You know, we're sending them home with things that you could do. It's You know, it's almost kind of like yoga. You come to our, our free yoga classes on Friday. You know, we're I think we're sending you home with a nice amount of knowledge. I think we're not just like, hey, let me fix you. But you know what? Well, okay, if you don't like us fixing you, here's a way that we can help you fix yourself. Here's a way that we think that you could benefit from some of these exercises, some of these things. So, you know, our physical therapist, he's super knowledgeable. And he just, he, he wants to share that, 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 that wealth is what I call it because I always believe, you know, our motto is that um, the best wealth is health. And so... so- now I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Take up, it where up you a want. notch to, okay. to a, a older age, which okay. my people that's watching that are that age. I'm not going at you. I know I'm saying Coco's 60th right now, so Coco's like, "Oh, you calling me old?" Right, no, um, not 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 you. I'm helping her with it. But at 60, should you be thinking? And and I guess this is like it sounds like I'm age shaming, but should you be thinking what you should or should not do? Like where should your mindset be for mobility uh, and what you can do? Okay, so like I said, exercise, stay as mobile as you can for sure. But Mm -hmm. one thing about it is, is that I think that you have to, you know, it's so hard for us because in this community, it's so disadvantaged and it's so many things that. Uh, we haven't had access to. But I say that to say that, like, say, for instance, you know, back in the day they told you you need a cane. Mm -hmm. You know, they may tell you, look, use this cane for three weeks, and it'll take the – of course, people don't want to do that. No. You know, don't (laughs) give them a walker. You know, they come in my office all the time without their – what they call assistive devices. And – it's so funny that this, this is. I mean, even a sling, right? My, even when my, <laughs> it's a my, sling, they don't want to wear it. You know, with my ninety-year-old gr- granny, <laughs> but she broke her oh, head. She a fighter. She, she didn't like, want to use. The, I'm like, this is ridiculous. It, <laughs> you know, you need this walker. Like this, and it takes the pressure like, what off. Are you of doing? It? You yeah. So for older people, I say, listen. You know, mm-hmm. they know so much. They know so many remedies. You know, but I think that it's important. Um, for you to take heed to what people are telling you as far as if you need those type of things. Because when we get older, I mean, I, I get older. I had a knee brace on one day. My brother's like, please get away from me with that brace. Hilarious. But, you know, I can't ignore it. I can't act like my knee is feeling the same. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think when you have issues like that, 
my advice is that for one, go to your doctor if you have one. If not, come in. We'll try to get you one. Um, but come in and you talk to them and you let them know your ailments, and then they'll think of the best. They'll tell you, hey, you need to do some physical therapy. You could benefit from doing a few weeks, even if you don't do it. You know, it's not anything like you're about to check into the hospital, but you could definitely. I mean, almost anybody could benefit from physical therapy for sure. Wow. You know, in the way that we do it, you know, we have electrical stimulation, ultrasound. You know, it's all types of things. Mm -hmm. Mostly exercises that the physical therapist does. So a lot of people think it's about equipment. You know, you come into our spot, we have equipment, but we really have more assistive devices is, than anything. The balls, you know, the table that kind of, you know, we have pulleys. We, like, we just have so many different things, but it's not just about the equipment. This is not the gym, you know what I mean? We come in, we're testing your resistance. We're testing your range of motion. Yeah. You know, we have all different type of tests that we're doing to make sure that you are where you should be. But it's always things that you could do at home. I, eventually, when I get some time, I always talk about we need to do, um, Premier Care needs to do something like what you're doing, some type of educational yeah. resource that people mm -hmm. can tap into um, so that they know these type of things. Because a lot of times, most people come to us after an injury. And I was going to say, usually, I think. I was at my homegirl. I interviewed her before because uh, <laughs> she has a vitamin store. Yeah, it's it's reactionary. We're, it is. We're 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 looking for a cure as opposed to prevention. So yeah. we're we're responding. You got to be proactive. Be proactive yeah. in your health. Be proactive in your yeah. care. Um, you know, when we go to the doctor, that's why when you get into an auto accident, your regular insurance doesn't pay for it. Because they're like, regular insurance is for you to go to the doctor and get vaccines, vaccinations, for you to go, you know, check and make sure your blood is good, you know, make sure, you know, you don't have any pressure in your chest, things like that. But that's all proactive work, right? They're just looking to make sure that you don't look like you're on a line to being unhealthy. But I think it's very important for us to just have that proactive nature and say, hey, listen, let me go check up on myself. Hey, and then if I, sometimes I'll, I'll have back pains for weeks. I get to the doctor, say, any concerns or issues? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And I think about it like, dang, you know, I, sh I should have probably told her that my, my lower back had been hurting or I probably should have told her. You know, that's the hardest thing to me is like being honest with the doctor because if the doctor hears any of those symptoms about um, pain or sometimes people fall off ladders, yeah. sometimes you just slip and fall in your driveway. Yeah. You know, it's so many small yeah. things yeah. that we think is nothing. But I think it's something to always be concerned about, something to always talk about and something to always check up on, you know. And even if you have an issue, even if you don't have a doctor, like I said, call the physical, call whoever you think that you need to to say, hey, I, I feel, you know, I, I haven't been feeling right. You know, is there any way that I can get into physical therapy? And even if you don't have a PCP, we'll, you know, we have ways to refer you to one. Most With definitely. or without insurance. Most know. definitely. And then uh, last question before we get into the classic Detroit is different questions. Okay. Is auto accident. You, you mentioned yes. it. We see signs up everywhere. Lawyers, it's like, especially if you get hit by some trucking company yep. or something like that. But um, it, it's very commonplace. I mean, it's it's unique. I'm going to get in my car. I'm you about to get back in your car. Yep. I mean, they're, they're prevent, pre, pre, ever present. Yes. You know, knock on wood. We're not going to get that or wish that on anybody but they're happening yeah all the time what should be the course of action after an accident because sometimes you know a person may have an accident and feel like oh i'm cool Nothing, mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying i'm straight what mm -hmm. what should be the course of action in that in that case and why is it important even to or just here's the question what should you do like what right should after? you do i'm in okay i'm in an accident 
You know what I'm saying? What do Obviously I do? Obviously, not a not an accident where you know ambulance is, is absolutely giving me a ride back. You know, I think I'm cool. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that. So the first thing is, is like I said, seek medical attention. Seek medical Even attention. Even if I feel, I, I feel cool. Listen, I told you my 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 aunt was riding around for three for almost a month with a concussion. Mm. You know, and, and the doctor tried to explain to her how serious that could have been. It could lead to a number of things, especially if you have any underlying health issues. Please seek medical attention. Um, even if you feel okay, you can go to your primary care doctor. You don't have to go to the hospital. You don't have to be shacked up in the hospital all day. You could just say, hey, listen, I got into an accident. A lot of times people suffer from concussions, internal bleeding. Um, I just see a number of things. Whiplash is a really bad one. It really messes up your spine when you jerk and you... Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people feel, oh, my neck was hurting. You know, that could be serious. It could change the whole trajectory of your spine. It could change the way that um, your spine moves and reacts. And because your spine is so important, I just think that it's always best to seek medical attention. But after you seek medical attention, call PCPT. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I just say that because um, when you get into an auto accident, that's public record. You're going to have lawyers calling you. The, they like to, We like to call them accident chasers. You know, you have all these people calling you, and you don't know, have a clue what they're even talking about at some point. Like, what are you calling? How did you get my number? All of that. And a lot of them are calling because, you know, it's some type of benefit for, for them. Mm. But at the same time, which, you know, which isn't a bad thing. Everybody, you know, has a benefit for something. My benefit is that you come to my physical therapy. But I like what I do. You know, I like bringing people back to restoring them back to their previous health you know what i mean and i think that um a lot of people think that nothing is wrong all the time so i think that you should seek medical attention and literally give us a call yes and i say that because i i work as like a case manager right so the same people who call you on the phone they're trying to get you to assign to a lawyer they're trying to get you to do a case management they're trying to get you to do all of this stuff um you know you're not if anybody tells you that they're going to pay you for it that you know that's illegal so they shouldn't but they probably will but all of that you want to make sure that it's beneficial to you and you don't want people that are just chasing accidents you want people who are really like hey concerned about your care Listen, it's something really wrong with me. You know, we have what we used to have um, before we just uh, remodeled. We used to have uh, pictures, posters up of whiplash, injury, concussion, you know, what that looks like for your spine. And I think a lot of people just don't realize that, you know. So when you come to me, I'm working on all levels to not only get you into a doctor, but the doctor is the one who can disable you as far as, like, if you need work, lost wages. Because a lot of people are scared. And that's why I say call me. Call me because I'm going to be upfront and honest about what you need to do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You tell me how you feeling, what your concerns are, and I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to shoot it to you straight. Yeah. You know, because I, like I said, I am from the hood. You know what I mean? I don't want to hold no bars. A lot of people be like, oh, do this, do that. You know, they may send you to a doctor, not because they think it's the best doctor, but because maybe... Not that they get a kickback, but it's just kind of they little group of people who they send people to. That don't mean that was the best person for you. I take a look at your injuries. I take a look at your history. And then I determine the best places that you need to be. Some people are better with, you know, that's why people have different insurances, right? Because this might pay for this. And that's that's indicative to what you need, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, having an auto accident is kind of one of those personal things. Everyone is different. Um, Even if you don't have a license, even if you don't have insurance, even if you were the driver, pedestrian, passenger, 
nine times out of ten, you have some rights and you just need to know what they are. You know, we can help you with that because we have experience. Uh, we can also help rehabilitate you. We can also help you get to the doctor, the right doctor. Um, a lot of people, I had one guy came in and uh, the only thing he's done was go to the chiropractor. But he's thinking he's doing like this is going to make me well one day. So he spent all his time going to the chiropractor. He's never been to physical therapy. And so when they looked at it, you know, they cut him off from his benefits because they're like, hey, you weren't doing anything about your case. We thought you weren't hurt. So now he's trying to fight back and let them know, hey, listen, I was just told wrong. I didn't know. So that's the reason that I say call PCPT just because of the fact that we are so knowledgeable. We're so knowledgeable and we're so caring and compassionate about what you're going through. You know, like it's not a facade. It's not a game. We are we really care. Like if you come in here, hey, I didn't have insurance. We're like, what can we do? You know, we're calling attorneys. We're getting advice because what we don't know, we're okay with that. We're constantly learning, you know. And um, I just think that calling us gives you a true perspective. And once you call me, you can go anywhere else you want to. You know what I mean? You can go to this place or that place. But I like to give people the raw deal, what it is, what it means when you're in an accident, what that could mean for you, what that could mean for us, and what that could mean for the other parties. You know, because this is a no-fault state. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to sue that, so you know, or whatever. And... A lot of times your insurance is going to be the ones to pay for it, you know, yeah. not even your insurance. If you're in a household with someone else who has insurance, their insurance could pay for it. and They had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So it's a lot of stuff like that that I like to clear up because people are thinking like, hey, oh, but no, nah, but I got my own insurance. Yeah, but you live in a house with your grandmother and her insurance is primary over there. You know, you live with your wife or this person. So, you know, you never know where it's coming from, but it's yeah. a no fault state. And so the last person who they seek is the person who hit you. Of course, unless you have, like, pain and suffering, all of these other types of things, yeah. criminal, you know. Um, so I just like to give people um, a true idea and a true sense of what's about to happen. And some people are like, oh, I don't want to do this. I can't come to physical therapy two to three times a week, you know. And so I try to help them understand what that means and why it's beneficial to them you know and how you know you could go start at three times a week go down to two times a week go down to one time a week you can go whenever you want but the you maximizing your rehab potential won't be there until you are fully committed into the plan of care that we set forth for you that's deep. That's yep, deep. So. And, and you have so many other businesses I, we drove down this lane i know i know but that's like good that. but that's um, good but we'll definitely get you back to talk about some of the other ventures Yeah, definitely. And here, here's some classic Detroit is different. Okay. Um, your very first car, year, make, and model, and what year did you get it? First official car that was mine, and I wasn't driving my brother's, was a 95 Escort, okay. hot pink. Okay. As I got it in 2003 is... when I went to school. Okay. My mom drove it down to D.C. for me. Thanks, Mom. Okay. Appreciate you. I, uh, when I first left high school, I went to D.C., lived there for five years. I started out at the Catholic University of America, um, going for biomedical engineering. And then from there, I went to a number of community colleges before I came back and graduated from Lawrence Tech in 2017. Okay. That's what's up. Yeah. All right. So in D.C., hot pink escort. They knew you was from yep. the D. And guess what? Mm-hmm. Got into an accident. Ain't that I totaled it in DC. And that was my that was my real first time knowing anything about physical therapy. Wow. They were like pressing me to come the auto you know, the accident mm-hmm. chase was like, come, come, come. I'm like, I got to go to work. I can't yeah. miss work to come so to you, physical. You were you were the client that you're speaking to now. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. And, it, and even story. though younger, even though younger, I'm sure probably right now it's probably, it may be like a something. Yeah, that back I think about it. Now, yeah, I think about like, it. All the time. Uh, if I would have just, took, just took, took a that. couple more days. Yeah, yeah. Stop for one second. They'd be like, "Hey, just stretch like this." And yeah, like, oh, yeah. Man. So and that's a true like, story. Oh, I, you know? I told it out my car, and it, and it was total. So imagine mm. it wasn't a, a simple accident. But you know, when you you know you hop out that thing, like listen, mm. can't nothing hold me down. I was in another state, so I was just very unaware. Mm. Um, don't be like that. If you get into an accident. Accident, 844, hit and run. Call us. <laughs> we <Okay>. got you. <laughs> so with that, uh, music question. You're the DJ at the end of the Detroit Fireworks, uh, Jefferson and Woodward. You get to play three songs. What songs you playing? You said at the end of the fireworks? Yep. <sighs> Got to be careful. You want everybody to get home safely. Uh, one of my favorite songs Jeezy, lose my mind. I okay. know that's probably the wrong one after the fireworks to play, okay, but right, you right. know that's how you feeling. You know that's how I'm feeling. Um, after that, I will play. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Young Dolph fan. I love, love, right. love, love Young Dolph. So I like get paid. That'll okay. probably be another one. And of course, it's the end of the fireworks, and all you gotta play is "Time to Go." <laughs> That's my very last one right. on anything. Okay, so I'm with that playlist, hip hopping and rocking. Yeah, so it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna definitely, it's gonna turn a little bit into. Uh, it's gonna feel like blue. For yeah, a I know, I know. You know? I didn't want to say, but, it, but no, I'm, I'm with it. I'm you with know. It. Um, very last question: If you could rename what word after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, if I could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be biased. You know, I'm gonna be biased on this, but um. I think I would honestly say my Uncle Yacht. Like okay. I said, that's just, you know, me thinking quickly uh, off the top of my dome. He did a lot for Detroit. You know, I don't know. Like I said, a lot of people probably haven't heard of him, but Kenyatta Hunter, um, a.k.a. Yacht, a.k.a. Black Press. Um, he got a lot of love in the streets, but I think he did a lot for Detroit music-wise, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to hate that I said this. I'm going to think of 50 other people later, but... Mm. Um, yeah, he did a lot for Detroit. You know, Street Lords is just such a big part of Detroit. It's such a big part of the urban community. It's such yeah. a big part of just everything Detroit, you know. And we didn't, I think back then, seeing it, I didn't, you know, you didn't realize what it was going to be or what it meant. But I think for the generations that came behind them, it just meant so, so much for them to have somebody from Detroit, like really from Detroit, from the hood, from these areas to be like, hey, damn, you know, like they they kind of made it, you know, and he didn't make it all the way as far as like probably where he wanted to be, but he worked with so many different artists, so many different people, and it just kind of opened up the scene and, you know, made Detroit um, a bigger player in the music industry. And now I think a lot of them benefit from it at this point, you know. I mean, you see people like Icewear Vezo, you know, PZ, you know, um, uh, payroll, they all talk about, you know, yacht and yeah. all of those things. But at the same time, I don't think they really noticed under the scenes what he was doing as far as like producing, 
bringing things together, making big moves, you know, bringing like none of the, nobody in the street lords wanted to rap. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so yeah. I think that he kind of was like, man, listen, you know, he the older brother. Hey, man, y'all get out here. Y'all do this. Y'all yeah. do that. He was one of those like very strong on his head. And so um, I think it just meant a lot, probably more so for me and my family. But I think it meant a lot for Detroit as well. So, yeah, most definitely. Um, I think it's an arc. I mean, when we think of rap in Amer- American culture right now, like yeah. the world culture worldwide. Detroit they love it. And Memphis <laughs> are like. Have, you know, for so long, especially Detroit and Memphis, were not seen as mainstream. Whereas right now, I, at all. I look at a guy like Babyface Ray, and I think that oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's as popular in, as Drake like I in, wouldn't in a couple years. You I know? wouldn't either. And, because, like, the arc of his success, and, like, Peasy was just in an interview talking about that. But when I think of, like, Detroit rap street culture, yes, yeah, the street lords are, well, with like Detroit's most wanted and absolutely of course you can't you first. can't change that you can't and change then they that. built a premise for what became of what the street lords and rock bottom and you know absolutely. Herc and them dudes did over here absolutely and then that carried on over to like where the guys are now and you know PZ just had an interview where he was shouting out you know my man Stretch and yep. a lot of the other ones that yep. like built that premise but, yeah, but I like, think it was a lot harder yeah and yeah. I think but I just think it was a lot harder in payroll oh, yeah, you know I just think it was a lot harder for them because um, you know, for the artists that was before Yacht and Street Lords, because you know they didn't get that mainstream, no. you know, recognition. I mean, of course, shout out to social media and all mm-hmm. that other type of stuff, you know. Um, but even before when we were just when they were doing tapes, you know, the Street Lords just they worked hard and they didn't even know what they were doing. Yeah. You know, they really, I don't think they really saw, like, the end-all, be-all. I think they were just like, hey, like, we love this. Like, oh, you know, the notoriety, the shows, they would be so pumped after they came to shows. You know, one time I, when I was in the ninth grade is when Rollies on TikTok came out. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm I'm calling y'all every second, like, listen, I'm having a party Hilarious. at the VFW Hall. Hilarious. I need every street lord in the building, and they came. That's wild. And they came. So yeah, shout out to everybody who was at the party. In like that journey, just oh, yeah, I was be close to your yeah. brother's age. It's like you were yeah. like, I was like leaving high school. I remember yeah. those feelings. But yeah, you were there. I'm so coming yeah, in trying like, to get my mark wow. hole. Yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to be popular, you oh, know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I you, mean, Blade. You, and, popular. Yeah, yeah. Now everybody right, knows yeah. me, you know. But like Blade showed up and mm-hmm. Old Dog and Rook and. Yeah. You know, G-Rock was there. You know, we got mm-hmm. a classic picture. So, you know, shout out to the Street Lords. But I, I love them. Honestly, it wouldn't just be for y'all. It'll be for the whole Street Lords. Really, honestly, Blade, Icewood. Because yeah. that's the, most of the love that people give. But if they notice anything about all of them, they all together. They all one unit. You know, it's a brotherhood a brother. with them. And so mm-hmm. I think that should be recognized. So not just y'all, but we'll say the whole Street Lords Mafia family. Most definitely. Yep. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Kari. Hopefully this won't be the last. Oh, no. We're getting you back. You got more business. We just got started. Yes. Thank you so much. All Peace. Right. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.